0: And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church.
1: Oh, can we love the Lord all across the house today. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness. Thank you for your blessing, for your kindness, your consideration. There's nobody like you. Oh, 1 Samuel 2, 2 says, There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee, neither is any rock like our God. Scripture tells us that He is the rock. I believe that is because He is constant, He is consistent, and He is always there. And I'm thankful to know that regardless of where we are at or what we face, He is still the one we can run to in the time of trouble. And so what a joy it is to be in the house of the Lord today. We give honor to Pastor and Sister Boyd, grateful for their leadership in these difficult times. Give honor to all the ministry, to each and every one that's here. We are so thankful for you. And didn't this worship team do an excellent job leading us into the presence of the Lord? If you have your Bibles, we're going to open and read from the book of Luke, the 15th chapter. We're going to begin at the 17th verse, or we're going to read down to verse number 24, Luke 15 and 17. I do want to say how much I appreciate my lovely wife and son and grateful for all that God is doing in our lives. Luke chapter 15, verse number 17, the words of Jesus, and he says this, and when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. When he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran, fell on his neck, and kissed him. The son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat, and be merry. For this my son was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. He said, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost but now is found. And I'm going to focus our attention here on this 20th verse. It tells us the actions of this young man. It says, he arose and came to his father. But then it shows us the actions of his father. It says, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. When he is yet a great way off, his father saw him. I want to preach to us today on this subject. I see someone coming home. I see someone coming. Coming home. Can we lift our hands and let's pray together? Father, in the name of Jesus, we are thankful for your spirit that's already moving in this service. God, we are grateful for your visitation that is already among us, but now we are praying that you would anoint your word. Let it go and accomplish that which it was sent to do. Let it minister to every heart. Let it speak to every soul and illuminate every mind. God, we give you all praise, all glory, and all honor. In Jesus' mighty name, in Jesus' mighty name, Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. Well, we are reading from a very familiar passage of Scripture. It is a parable, or one could say a story, that is told by Jesus. And in this story, he tells about a certain father who had two sons, one who was younger and the other who was older. Yet it begins with the youngest son finding out there is an inheritance that has been set aside for him. So, not using good judgment, without rational thinking, he approaches his father and asks and then demands that this inheritance be given to him right now. Every good father, I think he took his son to the side and explained to him that it's not best to spend all your money when you're young. Uh, Don't spend the inheritance now because there'll come a day when you might need it. You might not have the strength and ability that you possess right now. But regardless of what that father said, The young man would not be convinced otherwise. He would not be swayed by what his father spoke. So he took that inheritance, which took his father a lifetime to amass. And he very quickly and abruptly wasted all away. And it's beneficial for us to consider the cost that others have paid for what we have right now. Uh, We did not just get here by coincidence or happenstance, but it was by blood, sweat, and tears. Somebody made a sacrifice. Somebody went without. Somebody went without taking a vacation or having something uh, luxurious that they could enjoy because they believed in preserving something for another generation. That's why we have the church of the living God today. But yet those thoughts never entered into this young man's mind. He never considered that even but for a moment. He was so consumed with a right now mindset. We are living in a world with a right now mindset. As long as I can feel good right now. As long as I can be happy right now. As long as I can have everything I desire right now. But getting it right now also is going to make you pay down the line. And so, this young man, in just a matter of time, his bank account was emptied. His money was spent. His inheritance was gone. And the scripture says a famine of bad times came in. And he had to go and he had to get a job. Uh, my youngest, one of my younger cousins that lived down in Tampa. She didn't like it living with her dad. She said, I can't stand it here. Big house and swimming pool and new clothes. She said, I feel like a prisoner. I'm going to New York City. Their dad said, well, why don't you get in the car and go on to New York City? She said, I need some money to go. You got to give me some money. Sometimes you don't realize what you have until it's already gone. He thought he had it all under control until daddy's money wasn't there. He found out he had to go and get a job, work for himself. So this young man that looked at this life that seemed to be so carefree, the world that dazzled with fun and excitement and happiness, when he finally got on the other side, come to find out this life was actually very demanding. It was extremely tough and exceptionally difficult. Uh, we don't know the reason exactly why he left his father's house. We don't know if there was some family turmoil or maybe a sibling rivalry. The Bible speaks about some of that. Uh, but most likely, this young man saw a world that flashed and dazzled him and thought it would be better there than where he was at. My older sister, pastor said, everything that glitters is not gold. It may look wonderful, it may look beautiful, but once you got it in your hands, it's not everything you thought it was going to be. And that's what happened to him. But yet there have been so many sermons that have been preached about this young man's mistakes and so many thoughts that have come about from the actions that he took. But I want to challenge us today, not necessarily about the young man. I want to focus our attention, if just for a little while, on this father. Uh, This father was a man of considerable success and of great reputation. Uh, We say that because if he had enough money for his own retirement, he'd done well. But if he already had enough money set aside for his kids and their futures, that tells me that somewhere down the line he made some wise financial decisions. He knew how to dot the I and cross the T. He knew how to be prepared, not even just for himself. But yet we find him. The Bible tells us that he had hired servants in his house. So in other words, he was an employer. He had a business that people depended on. There were those that worked and relied on him for a paycheck. There were those that clocked in every Monday through every Friday. And they trusted that he was going to do everything right and everything in order. Going to make sure there was food on their table and clothes on their back. So this was not somebody who could just disappear. He couldn't just fall off the scene. People knew who he was. People knew what he did. People knew where he lived and what his business consisted of. So I can just envision this man going into town. I can see him walking down the street, maybe sitting to eat in a restaurant. And he would try his best to avoid a question that would always be asked. When he was walking down the aisles at the grocery store, uh, he would uh, needlessly run into somebody that he knew, maybe bump into a family member or a neighbor or a friend. And it always come about, they would always ask him this question. It was the question that plagued his mind that night. It was the question that put his heart and spirit in turmoil. It was a question that he didn't really know how to answer. And the question would always go something like this Whatever happened to your son? And in that moment, that father would just have to look down at the ground, he would have to shrug his shoulders because he didn't know what happened to his son. No doubt he had spent late nights wondering if he could have been a better father. Maybe he had spent hours and hours thinking, maybe I should have raised them a little different. Maybe he should have done things a little out of the ordinary. Uh, yet he had to answer. and His answer would go something like this, I don't really know where he's at. don't know what he's doing. I don't know how I offended him so bad don't know why he thought he needed life without me. So I'm not sure what he's doing or where he's at. But as time would begin to pass by, and as days would turn to weeks and weeks would turn to months, Months would turn to years. It wasn't the question that he always tried to avoid. It wasn't the question that would bother him so much. But no, this time when he would go into town, and he would see somebody that he knew. It wasn't the question that drove a nail in his heart. But it would be something that they said. They would look at him and explain that I saw your son the other day. You know, he was so out of his mind when I saw him, he couldn't stand on his own two feet. Do you know he's living on the wrong side of the tracks? He's hanging with the wrong crowds. He's doing things that are damaging your reputation. He's ruining your family lineage. Do you know what he's caught up in? Do you know the actions that he's taking? Do you know the mess that he is making out of his life? If you don't know, let me just tell you. And the father would just have to listen to it. Oh, what a feeling of hopelessness, knowing there's nothing you can do but just listen to what the people are saying. And he, he would hear the barrage of all the failures and all the faults and all of the mistakes that his son was making. But yet somewhere there was something that rose up in this father's heart and said, I know that my son's not doing right. I know that he's making shipwreck of his life. I know he may be drinking and doping and partying. I know he may have spent all of my money and doing all kinds of wrong. I know he's not the most moral man, the most righteous man, or the most godly man. But I believe one day that son that I raised in my house, he's going to make his way back home to where he belongs. I just have a feeling that father held on to the promise in the scripture that says train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. It may not be today or tomorrow. It may take a little while for him to figure it out. But when he's old, he's going to remember the way he was taught, going to remember he was the way he was raised. He's going to come on back to daddy's house. See, it was on May 21st, 1972, St. Peter's Basilica. There was a group of tourists that were admiring Michelangelo's Pieta. The Pieta was the Virgin Mary holding the slain body of Jesus Christ. Designed all the way back of 1498. A priceless piece of artwork yet while this group was on the other side of the guardrail, there was a man in that group by the name of Laszlo Toth, a crazed man who suddenly and without warning jumped over the guardrail, reached down into his pocket, and pulled out the small hammer. And without any kind of warning, he took the hammer in his hand and he struck the Pieta one right after another, one right after another, one right after another, until all that was left was a pile of rubbish and fragments. Fifteen different times he had struck the Pieta, but before he could strike it the sixteenth time, security apprehended him. Because of what had taken place, the Vatican had decided to call an emergency board meeting. How were they going to handle this incident. And furthermore, what were they going to do with the remnants of the Pieta? And trying to figure out some kind of plan, a solution. It was the director of the Vatican Museum that stood up and said, Gentlemen, I think I may have the answer. If you would be willing to allocate me enough resources and enough manpower, I believe that I can actually restore the Pieta and when he said that he was instantly dismissed how could anybody be willing to take the place of Michelangelo how could you take the fragments and put together what the one of the greatest artists of all times had done and after discussing the director simply said well if you don't take my idea all you have are the remnants But at least if I have a chance, we might have some kind of possibility of restoring this Pieta back the way it was designed to be. And so finally, somewhat reluctant, they decided to grant him his request. And they put a strict timetable on and only gave him a certain amount of time. And so the director began to work diligently. He began to put together a team. And together they began to work hours on end. He even put a request in to hire dentists. When it was asked why he wanted to hire dentists, he said, I want to make sure that even the teeth are in the precise position. I don't want anything to be wrong. don't want anything to be out of place. And so they began to work long days and late nights, 16 and 18 hours at a time trying to meet the deadline, trying to get everything in order for this board, what they were willing to request. Finally, the day came that the board was meeting again. So the director came into the room, and he had this statue, and he had a a curtain draped over it. And when it was time for him to give his response, he said, I think that we have actually done the impossible. Because of a great team, visionary leadership, Uh, we have worked diligently and tenaciously. And I think that we have actually restored the Pieta. And so he removed that curtain, and the authenticators came. And they began to analyze, and they began to inspect. And they had to just sit there and wait patiently for their answer. And finally, when they concluded their inspection, and when they concluded their analyzation, they said, well, after we have looked, and after we have researched, and after we have analyzed, we think that there's no way to tell that the Pieta had ever been destroyed. As far as we can tell, this is the work of the great Michelangelo himself. And the director was so happy, He was so thrilled with that response. But what happened next is the moment that really challenged him. It was then that the board decided that the Pieta had been restored and they were choosing what to do next. And they had decided that they were going to take the Pieta and put it into a storage room. That way it could never be destroyed again. It was then that the director stood up And he said, I think you have missed the purpose why we have worked so hard. The reason why we have spent this money and the reason why we have given of our energy and our effort and our ability is not for the pieta to be tucked away somewhere so that nobody else realizes it still exists. But if we don't bring it back home to the basilica, then it's all been in vain. He explained that when they started this, they were picking up all the fragments, the hands and the feet and the eyelids and the nose, trying to figure out how they were going to make this work. He said, but on the other side of the hand that nobody else sees, he said, we saw something that's never been witnessed before. When we looked on the other side of the hand, on the inside, it was the signature of Michelangelo himself, the only piece of art that's ever been known to carry the signature of Michelangelo. And the director said we would have never known it was his handiwork and it was his mastery unless it had already been destroyed and then put back together. And when I heard that, there was something that just rolled over in my mind. I began to think, you really don't know the goodness of the Lord. You don't know about His grace and His mercy until your life has been ruined and in shambles. You don't know His forgiveness and His kindness and His gentleness until your world, But if you've ever been put back together by the goodness of God, you'll know, oh, there's nobody like him. There's nobody that can compare to him. Once you've been on a path to hell and been on a track for discouragement and depression, once you've been on a path where there seemed like there was no way out, you can stand and say, there's nobody like my God. There's nobody that can compare to him. There's nobody that can satisfy like he can. His signature is on us. That he can take a life that's been in sin. He can take a life that's been in shambles. He can take a life that's been in devastation. And he can put them back together again. And this young man, as his life began to spiral downward, as he lost his money and spent his inheritance and now was taking care of the swine and the pigs and living in the mud and the muck of the pig pen, he assumed that nobody really cared. He just believed that he was all by himself. He would already come to the conclusion nobody had any interest in him any longer, but if he would have only known that back at his father's house, I could just see it, I could see his father taking some binoculars in his hand and sitting out on his front porch, leaning back in his recliner and start looking down the driveway, oh, I, I don't know where he's at right now, but something's getting ready to change. I know he may be a million miles away right now, but I got a feeling he's coming home. I can hear the servants. I can even hear the brother saying, Dad, you're wasting your time. He's already told people. He doesn't believe the way you taught him. He's already telling everybody. He's never coming back. If he has to die, he's never coming back. But his father was not going to be swayed otherwise. No, I got a feeling. I don't know. I don't know if it makes any sense to anybody else, but I got a feeling that boy that I raised, that boy that sat on my lap as a child, that boy I trained up as a teenager, he's coming back to where he belongs. I just know he's coming back. And yet when his father was looking, something happened to that young man. And the scripture says in verse 17 that he came to himself. Finally said, what am I doing with my life? My grandma used to tell me, quit being so bullheaded. You're going to have to make a decision. you got to make a choice. You got, if you want something better, you got to make it better. And that young man, there wasn't anybody else around. There wasn't anyone there. But he came to himself and said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? Back in daddy's house, I was happy. Back in daddy's house, I could lay my head on the pillow at night and knew where I was going to wake up in the morning. Back when I was in daddy's house. So it wasn't always perfect, but it was blessed. It wasn't always all together But it was blessed. Sometimes that's what it takes. We have to come to ourselves. We got to get rid of the excuses and the reasons why not. Somebody can say, But I've sinned, I can't go back. But if you would come to yourself, First John 2, 1 John 2.1 says, If any man sin, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Somebody can say, I just don't even know if I believe that. I'm just confused. But if you would come to yourself, 1 Corinthians 14 and 33 says, God is not the author of confusion, uh, but of somebody can say I'm in too deep I don't think I can ever get out but if you would come to yourself Psalm 91 and 3 says surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noise of pestilence Somebody could say, it's too hard, it's too heavy, I'm too stressed. But if you would come to yourself, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Somebody could say, well, this isn't for me. It may have been for my father, it may have been for my grandparents, but it's not for me. Come to yourself, Acts 2.39 says, This promise is unto you, is to your children, is to all that are afar off. It's for those that have drifted so far they don't think they can ever come back. But when that son said, I'm going back, his father was already looking. And while he was way down the road, the Bible says that Father was searching. You know how He saw Him? He was searching for Him. You know when people come back, they come back when people's praying for Him and when people's thinking about Him and people's calling their name out in prayer. And when that Father saw Him, oh, didn't take long. He left his ports. He left his house. That's what God will do when we come to him. He'll leave the hallelujahs of heaven. He'll leave the glory and the splendor and the majesty of up above. He'll transcend supernatural realms and he'll come to where we are if we would just come to ourselves wonder for a moment if we could just close our eyes and bow our heads. Open your heart to the Lord for a moment. What is God doing in you? No, there may be some even here today. They're not in the sanctuary. They're not in the service of the Lord. They're not even having a desire to serve Him. But oh, I see something. I see something in the Spirit. I may not see it in the natural. I may not see it in the flesh. I may not see it on the pews or in the parking lot. But all oh, I see something in the Holy Ghost. Those coming back home. Those coming back home.
0: This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church.